Welcome back to the Saloon Plus Podcast. My name's Josh Wofford. And I'm John Nicholson. And we are here for the second time this week, and hopefully this will drop tomorrow on Thursday. And so if you're listening to this, you uh, will likely get a double dose of this week. You're just getting bonus material this week. That's all it is. That's too much. (laughs) That's like saying too much ice cream, man. You can't have too much Uh, ice cream. I don't know about that. That's what this is. This is good stuff. What flavor ice cream would you be, John, if you were a flavor of ice cream? Oh, man, see, I'm vanilla because it's so versatile. It goes with everything, and if I want to decorate, if I want to add chocolate or peanuts or M&M's or whatever. It works. You can't do that with everything. Although, I will say, a close second is some Ben & Jerry's Chunky Monkey. Ooh. Man, it's good. Yeah. How about you? Well... This is really getting yeah. into these hard, difficult questions that you folks are This asking. is philosophical. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I've actually never thought about that. I, I would I would like to be a bluebell strawberry with actual chunks of strawberry. Yeah. Like, not yeah. just of strawberry-flavored, but actual strawberry chunks. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, I, I actually like Briar's vanilla better than bluebell vanilla. I don't know if I've ever had Briar's vanilla. <sighs> Briar's My natural granddad. bean vanilla. It is. And Briar's, you can send me your uh, honorarium check for the the pot the uh, plug on the podcast here so <laughs> well my granddad always bought the bluebell strawberries yeah it's good and that's uh so that's just what bluebell's great but I tell you Briars is they they got it it's good <laughs> all right so we're sponsored by bluebell that's Go right pick you up a gallon <laughs> no totally wish we were uh, we could get some free ice cream up here but we take free ice cream hey eh? oh, yeah that's good. so bluebell if you're listening that's to this right. uh, uh, we're gonna have to edit all that out but. <laughs> Anyways, back to the topic at hand. We are still taking questions yep. uh, from our listeners. And you still got opportunity to add questions to it though, for future podcasts, so don't yeah, forget to so do that. I might have to link that form in the show notes sure. just to make sure people can uh, easily find that, because it, it is on Faith Life, but I think you'd have to search for it in its way on down. We'll, we'll link it to the podcast cool. so that uh, if... if because, I mean, it's been a couple weeks since we've gotten any new questions. Right. And so, I mean, we got plenty of questions to deal with. <laughs> yeah, we got, a little way. we got some material to work yeah, with. Yeah, we, we want this to be open for anyone who has questions, and so we'll link that. But today, we're dealing with just the general topic of church architecture. Right. And so the question is, and you know how I like to read them verbatim, so you, everybody knows what the question is that we're looking at. Uh, this one says, why are church sanctuaries set up like movie theaters, rows all facing the stage? It seems like we have the focus on who's preaching instead of Jesus aesthetically. So, what say you, John? Uh, we, we teased this a little bit last week. But yeah, we let's, did. Let's, let's broaden this out. Let's get a fuller picture of church architecture and its importance in the life of the church. I, I think it's a good question, um, but there are some ways of looking at that I think we need to bring to the table. And just to back up for a a broader view of church architecture, I play the game when I drive through small towns of identify the church by the architecture. That looks like that's the Baptist church. That Hmm. looks like that's the Methodist church. There is the Presbyterian church. You know, whatever. Just by the architecture. And pretty much you get it because there are some things that kind of Except for First Baptist Selma. Right, right. Yeah, that's just a a bizarre kind of beautiful space, but it's just very different, obviously. But, you know, most of those churches, they they have a pattern because Mm -hmm. they're saying something about who they are. And and that that architecture is a physical way of saying that. All right, so let's bring that to the sanctuary. Why are we all in rows facing the front with seemingly the pastor at the center of it? In Baptist life, we have at the front of our sanctuary, generally, if you go to just about any Baptist church, just about any Baptist church I've been in, this is the setup. You have at the front the Lord's Supper table. Immediately behind that would be the pulpit. 
And then a little further behind that would be the baptistry. Mm-hmm. Usually the choir loft is in between that and the baptistry. But what we have in that is picturing the centrality of the table, the Lord's Supper, the proclamation of God's Word, and the, and the if you will, the sacrament, although that's a, a term that gets a little loaded with some things, but the um, the, the uh, ordinance of baptism, yeah. the practice of baptism, those are central items in the life of our church. Um, there are some churches that uh, the pulpit is set to one side because they believe that the table is center stage mm-hmm. instead of the Word of God. So those things say something to us about our architecture. As for movie theater thing, you know, set up in rows, that's really just more a matter of, I think, more a matter of just being able to get maximum people in minimum space yeah. at the end of the day. It's it's a convenient way to do it. I have been to one church that kind of met in the round a little bit, wasn't quite fully in the round, but it's still the focus was on this central space. Right. But the congregation was facing each other, and that that was there was some beauty to that. There was some, but it was odd. You know, yeah. It was just different, but it was okay. But I, I think those are some of those things that that contribute. Come on, let's jump into this well, conversation. Well, how, how about this? I got another question for you. All right, ask me another question. What is the significance of the difference between actual movie style seating? <laughs> <laughs> like the actual seats, like movie theaters, that you know how it all folds up and all right, that right. kind of stuff, and pews. I don't know that there is. I mean, movie theater seats are super comfortable, <laughs> right? I got to give you that. You know, I've been to a couple of churches recently that have, you know, had the remodel. Does it does it speak in. to our individualism though? It may very much. That's a that's a good good point. Although I, I would be interested if we could get the D four. You know, those those four. Uh, you know, where you get the motion activated, <laughs> right? And, and, the, and the church. And then the glory of the Lord appeared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm for it. I'm for it. Have the sound sound oh, yeah. right, right around you your head. Head and That's stuff. Right. Oh my Man, gosh! We got who would he, who do we talk to about that? I'm for it. <laughs> but no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yes, it does because this is my space, and I'm coming to worship in my way and in my comfort zone with this. Whereas pews, you know, they of course ours are nicely padded, but you know, historically, you hear about those old hard straight back pews. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got one just outside our back door that was built by my great-great-grandfather uh, for the church that they attended. And I look at that thing every time I walk at the door, and I say, dear God, thank you that I don't have to sit in that you know, <laughs> right. very long. you know." Uh, but they would. Um, so, yeah, it, it does speak a little bit to that. And, and a pew is generally more family-oriented or communal because I'm going to sit with somebody else generally. Um Except for now, when we got them all roped off because of COVID, and that yeah, kind of, yeah. but you know, but to your point, I think yeah, uh, it is a. Um, I think there is a difference that's there, and you know, there are some of those trends in modern sanctuary design that do bother me quite a bit. Okay, so that's that's where I was going next. All let's, right, well let's let, let's hang on to that because I, I think one distinction that we should make, or or at least a conversation we should have, about the architecture of space. Uh, I, I think well, we even here in our community, if you go to the Methodist Church, they have that rail at the front. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting piece of architecture in that worship space because it makes a very clear, definitive division between the congregation, the gathered people, and those who are serving as ministers. Mm-hmm. And even coming to the table, the congregation in that situation, I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just saying here's a difference. 
of, of understanding of what's happening. Our table, it's it's open. If you're a believer and you've examined yourself, you are you're welcome to this table. Right. In that church, there's there's something very different about that. You know how you come to take. I've never had Lord's Supper at the Methodist Church, but uh, you know that picture is there. That there's a division um, uh, that's there. Uh, I think of the Episcopalian Church, how it's set up. Um, pulpit to one side, a lectern to the other. You know, readers read from one side. The the uh, the rector, the priest, the the uh, the pastor there uh, speaks from another uh, side. But yeah. central there is the table because that's the key part of of their worship service is taking the Lord's Supper. Um, important, but you know, for us, I I think the word becomes what is truly central for us. Um, so you know, all these things they're 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 ways they speak to. Who we are as a uh, as a theological people, our architecture, our our theological statements, I do believe. So, uh, you know, I'm still thinking through uh, our sanctuary is something that you and I didn't sit down and design. No, we are inheritors of such a fantastic legacy that uh, was started so long ago. Right, and yeah, it, it was interesting. I remember when the uh, Horseshoe Farms ladies came and we were giving a, a general tour right. of, of the church and they were just even though I, the vast majority of them were raised Catholics and went to Catholic churches which are just traditionally a little more elaborate in their design and, and all that as far as church buildings go than traditional Baptist churches Sure, they were still taken aback at the grandeur of our sanctuary, and here's here's my follow up question on that: How can our sanctuaries, and maybe explicitly talk about Siloam's? How does it point toward the majesty and and the beauty and the glory of God? You know, I think about this sanctuary being built in 1848. Folks are still trying to scratch a living out of dirt. Yeah. And, uh, granted, you know, cotton is king, and you know there there are, are obviously financially, um, you know, largely due to slavery. That's part of the legacy that's built into our architecture as well. We, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we can't get away from that, and that's but that's I think it's an important piece of that. But still, in, in the midst of trying to just scratch a living out of dirt, you know, we're talking ten years removed, twenty years removed from the time that people first came and really kind of settled this place that they are building this incredible place, the first brick building, I think, in Marion, if I remember my history correct, or the first brick sanctuary for sure. And they put this steeple on top of it, you know, that even when you're up there walking around in the attic space, you know, you're you're five, six stories above ground at that point, 50, 60 feet in the air, and then you add another, you know, 50 or 60 feet of, of steeple on top of that. Why? You know, we've got... (laughs) <laughs> crops to raise and food to put on the table. And that's why. Why are we taking this time? Because there was the glory of God was involved in this. Yeah. And they built something substantial. And this is something that 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 really grips my my imagination when I think of what they've done. I had a gentleman that uh, had grown up here, but he came back and visited. He goes to framing schools up in the Northeast, the old time way of building. And I took him up to the attic, and he was just looking at that incredible work that workmen did 170 years ago up there. And he said, you know. 
barring an earthquake or a fire, uh, this place will be here until Jesus comes back, just because of the type of construction that is there. Compared to even metal buildings that you put up now, yeah. you know, they've got a shelf life of 40, 50 years maybe. There are two different approaches to that. I was reading just the other day about the uh, uh, cathedral in Cologne, Germany. Uh, it took 500 years to complete that cathedral. I would have given up after a few. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, That's incredible. We're talking generations yep. of people who invested their lives in bringing this place for the glory of God to completion. That's a long-term commitment to a faith that we don't really exhibit in our throwaway culture now. I think that says something. Now, we also have to think about the other side of this. What about the storefront church? How, how do you, what does that architecture say? Well, it says that we believe in this community and we want to be the presence of Christ in this community. Our building yeah. may not be grand, but there is a embodied presence of Christ in this place. And even if you go to a storefront church, I've been to one or two in my day, mm -hmm. the setup is pretty much the same. There's a Lord's Supper table. There's yep. a pulpit. They may not have a baptistry as such uh, there behind it, but those those elements are there. We're, we're here gathered to experience the presence of God. So we're talking about these cathedrals and stuff like that. Isn't that just a waste of money, though? Couldn't it be spent on better things? It, it could be, perhaps. But how do you... Like $40,000 stained glass windows, John. No, that's to repair them. Fifty thousand to repair them. Okay, no telling what they're worth now, and and that's in our sanctuary. You know, and you think of some of these other, like the rose window in, in Notre Dame Cathedral. Yeah. How, how do you put a price tag on something like that? But the other side of that is, you know, I'm thinking again of just because it's fresh on my mind, the cathedral in Cologne, Germany. You know, it survived World War II, the bombings of Cologne. Cologne was basically burned to the ground, but the cathedral stood, stands still, and it continues to be a testimony to the glory of God. Why do people, why would they take so much time and energy, 500 years, to build this beautiful place? Well, it's to point people to God. Yeah. And the architecture itself, high, airy arches and that kind of thing, you know, and it's to emulate this idea of the created space that we inhabit. Yep. And it's God there with us. And it's really beautiful. And we have some sense of that in our sanctuary. We're blessed. Yeah. But also just in the, the beauty of, and I don't know all the, the golden mean and all that, but just the front of our sanctuary, the, 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 the triangle and the, and the columns, there is geometric um, beauty there. There's mathematical beauty there that reflects the order and, um, and beauty of God in his creation. So it, every time people pass by, unconsciously or consciously, they are reminded, just through the architecture of this church, of the presence of God in this community. The first cathedral that I went into is St. John's Cathedral in Savannah, Georgia. And when you walk in, all around the sanctuary, they have life-size statues of the life of Jesus hmm. in different stations. And there was probably 10 or so stations, and it was the life of Jesus in, in those 10 stations. When people are seated in there, it, even if the sermon is terrible that day, <laughs> <laughs> they can look around and be immersed in the life of Jesus and in, in the story of Scripture. I think about Janice Williams 
talking about that the stained glass window of Jesus and the child and her just growing up here and looking at that and knowing Christ's heart for children. Right. And that's just that's just a stained glass window. Right. Uh, and so not quite a full-blown statue and, you know, ten of them all, all the way around the sanctuary, but just something that simple and that beautiful right. can lure our hearts to, to love Jesus and, and, and Scripture itself even more. Yeah. And so I, I think there's a place, an important place for beauty and uh, well-designed architecture in the life of the church. I think so, too. And, and a lot of the early artworks that we might would be familiar with in church history and the church, you know, the, what we would call sacred art. I, I think of like the Sistine Chapel and those kinds of things that are beautiful and they tell the story of Scripture in some magnificent, marvelous ways. Those were done for largely illiterate um, people. Uh, and also people, I think Josh, um, his last name just left me. He was the art professor at Judson. Anyway. Pickens. Yeah, Josh Pickens uh, mentioned when he was talking about uh, the stained glass window that we had assigned him that, you know, these people also lived in largely colorless uh, world. You know, mm-hmm. uh, clothing was drab and their world was drab, but they would come into these places and here was this beautiful stained glass and it, you know, and, and in that stained glass was depicted the stories of Christ, of the apostles, of the church. Yeah. Um, and so that in our day and age, though we are literate, we are very much illiterate. And having those kinds of images that drive our our attention and grab our attention and live with us is really an important step. And that's why we need good artists, godly artists, who have a passion to see God communicated through the material things of this world. Because that's how God has communicated to us. Yeah. So if we wanted to uh, create a new church, John— a whole new architecture and all that. Why don't we? We could just move to the metaverse, <laughs> right? Oh and yeah. We could create all this for essentially Ooh, free. Wow. And we could just move our church onto the metaverse. And nobody has to get up and get out in the bad weather or you know any yeah. of those kinds of things. What, yeah, it's what? so much better, right? Absolutely no. Please. You know, it, it's such an interesting conversation. If you haven't been following it, and, and this is Josh and I are, are tongue-in-cheek here because this is a conversation that we've been having for quite a while. And part of it, quite frankly, began with the COVID issue because we were having to meet virtually somehow. Mm-hmm. And did the, were we really meeting? Yes, we were all there together online in some shape, form, or fashion, uh, but we missed the physical presence. I, for me, one of them, I guess – low points, although it was a good day, but one of the low points was when we did child dedication here. Yeah. There were seven people in that, well, seven families, uh, 14, 20 people there maybe. But rather than being able to hold those babies and show them to the church, introduce them to people, you know, it was just, I hope you're online, and if you want to, you know, type a response. <sighs> no. No. You know, uh, it was just, there was something that was missing because the congregation, the gathered presence, the actual physical bodies of the people were not there. Now, this whole metaverse thing, in case you haven't been following along, fill us in on what this is, Josh. The metaverse is a seemingly new area of the internet to where you can live a virtual reality out and basically create whatever you want to create, live whatever type of life you want to live. And 
do so with seemingly no repercussions. Now that's my that's my moral inter- interpretation. <laughs> Probably not too far uh, off of of all that. But uh, you know, people like Microsoft and Facebook have kind of made this uh, their main push to to move reality itself onto the metaverse to where you can Walmart I don't know if you've seen the no. stuff for Walmart you can I can go, go to Walmart without going to you, Walmart yeah you can go grocery shopping that has some attraction for Walmart <laughs> <laughs> I saw one video that showed the glitches in it and it was hilarious so you had to look up glitches in the metaverse with, with Walmart but uh, it, yeah so they're they're looking at giving these real world type experiences to like online shopping sure. so, so you actually go to this virtual Walmart uh, store and and so instead of pulling up your Walmart app on your phone and clicking bread to go pick it up in the uh, at the store you know you would actually go to the store in the metaverse and click on it and then you'd go pick it up or they wow. would deliver it to your house or whatnot and so the the issue that you and I have been addressing is how does this affect the church because there are churches now who have what they're calling VR churches, virtual reality churches. And this is where, folks, in case, again, you're, you're not following the, the storyline, you put on virtual reality goggles, which blocks out every other thing around you. Yep. So that all you get is what's on that screen. And I think you have maybe some hand yeah, um, you, you have some sort of yeah, like controllers in your hands, gloves, something that yeah. that moves so that, and you actually have a an avatar, something that represents you that you make it look like you or look like somebody else. But anyway, it's 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 your identifier in the metaverse that's there. Well, and John tagged me in a post that was talking about virtual baptisms. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to put that in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, yeah, so we'll, that we'll link that. that and. You know, there are just uh, some of the comments were, yeah, that's not a real baptism. Right. And so uh, let's let's get back to the real topic at, at hand. When we're talking about the physical church and why the physical church building and the physical church people matter, the gathering of the saints together. And, and just here's a side note. Ecclesia mm-hmm. means gathering. Yeah. Like that's, that's what – and so maybe – uh, it would be interesting to go back and re-translate in our Bibles. Instead of saying church, we say gathering. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's what it means. Church is from a German word that, that means gathering. So, right. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it, 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 no matter what you say, it means gathering, but yeah. we've kind of twisted what the definition of a church is. And so, but isn't the church just the people and not the building, Josh? Come on, I mean, let's really get down to it. Isn't that really what church is? Uh, it's that's one of those yes and nos. Like I, I, I fully believe that yes, the body of Christ is the people. Because when Paul brings up the body of Christ in First Corinthians twelve, he's not talking about uh, the doors are the feet of Jesus or, or something, or the the lights in the building or, or such and such. He always is talking about certain people. Right. So yes, the people are the body of Christ. But we become the body of Christ when we're together. Like, John, you yourself aren't by yourself the church. You cannot be the church by yourself. Right. You can only be the part of the church right. by yourself. That's why we need one another. Right. That's the whole point that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 12 is you can't do this alone. Right. And so in you know, us sitting at home watching uh, a TV screen or putting on our VR goggles and going to VR church or whatnot, uh, those may have um, good purposes in our lives for seasons. 
But if we, it's our mindset. If we're sitting back and saying, this is all I want to do. This is all I'm ever going to do. And I, I, I don't believe in the uh, real gathering of the saints. Then we have some theological issues that, that we have to work out. Uh, I, I think they are good replacements. I don't know if uh, re- replacement is a word, but replacements for the real thing for a certain amount of time uh, when you may not be able to. But again, it's all about, we talked about this last week or on the last episode, it's all about the mindset. Yeah. You know, how are you approaching these technologies, whether it's just sitting with your phone watching Siloam on Facebook or putting on a set of VR goggles, how are you approaching that technology uh, for the sake of the gospel? Let me throw something into the mix here that I, I am increasingly convinced that, well, we have made this this terrible error of adopting the idea that my spirit and my body are two different things. Yeah. And that has real ramifications. And and if that's the case, then the meta church, this metaverse church, it's no big thing. If I can just kind of go there in spirit, you know, and whatever my digital presence is, then yeah, that's great. But no, my physical presence has. As we see, because God always works in creation, He's working through the stuff of Earth. Mm-hmm. And any time that we encounter God at work, He's doing it in a place, and those places have names, yeah. and those places have meaning for the people that are involved in those things. Joshua tells the people, the, the children of Israel, choose out some folks and pick up 12 stones out of the river, pile them up on the other side so that when your children ask what mean these stones, you can tell them, here's what God did in this place. You know, It's not that the stones had any real, but the place was filled with significance yeah. for them. And that happens for us spiritually. And, and y'all have heard me talk about my own, you know, my call experience at Shaco Springs. Anytime I go back to Shaco Springs, I make my way over to the tree where I was sitting having my morning devotion. I remember that place. It's full of significance for me. But also, man, this place, our sanctuary, times, and we've got some of those stories. I was telling some of those yesterday uh, to some folks. There are stories that saturate that space mm-hmm. of where God did something in the midst of his people that had I not been there, I, I would have no experience of. And so yeah. there's this there's this this connection to to space and place and and matter things pews and those kinds of things that have that impinged very uh, really very uh, factually on my spiritual life. So. We're at time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well. Let, so, <laughs> so hang let's, on. Let's we get bonus material anyway. we got more to talk <laughs> yeah. about here. Let's, let's, let's try to summarize what we've talked about. All right. Okay, so church architecture uh, for us Baptists, and I think for just about every church, says something about our theology. Absolutely, it does. And we want it to always point to Jesus. Right. And so uh, that's the reason the Baptist church is set up the way it is, is so that it would point to Jesus. Right. And if it comes across in any, any other type of way, that's unintentional, right? And we may be missing the purpose behind the way it was set up. And to the individual's question, yes, sometimes it does look like that is putting all the attention on the speaker instead of on Jesus. And there are places that that's the case. Yeah. That may be a moment where you need to examine the heart of the pastor that you're listening to at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. And and so then we talked about the the, the importance of physical presence of the church right. uh, and uh, how that how the physical presence of you and me 
uh, is intertwined with the physical presence of a actual church building right. and, and whatever that may look like, whether it's a storefront church or a cathedral, uh, that that all has an important purpose to play. And then we talked about uh, the metaverse right. and how VR church, I, I personally don't... I, I, I may, this may not age well. I don't know. But I just can't say that that's a church. I, well, whether it ages well or not, I have some real hard theological issues. Again, because of the lack of physical presence there. Yeah. I might can see somebody else's avatar. I might be engaging with them in conversation or whatever. But I, I am not there. There is a difference in when I am able to physically shake someone's hand. Mm-hmm. There are physiological responses that God has wired into us that happen only when we engage in that community. You can't do that in a VR setting. You can't yep. do that through a screen. You can't do that through some intermediary that's there. We have to show up for that. Yep. And um, and that's a, that's and one of the other things. Y'all just hang on, okay? You, you get bonus <laughs> material. Because it does bring something else up about a lot of modern church architecture. And I want you to tell this story of how much of it is set up for participation or for for uh, spectating rather than participating. Uh, you're, you're invited to come into a place with nice, comfortable theater seats, mm-hmm. and the lights are going to go down, and spotlights are going to come on the stage, maybe even the smoke fog machine. I, you know, I've been in those places yes. uh, that's going to pop on, and it's very much no attention on you, all the attention on what's happening on stage. You had an experience taking some folks that were not believers to a church with that setting. What was that like? Yeah. So went down to it's a church in Panama City, Florida, and we, we went with uh, some family down there. And we went in to – we walked into the church, and there was uh, – immediately it didn't feel like a church. It, it felt like uh, some sort of – I mean, it was a super, super long hallway – with uh, all all different types of advertisements and stuff on the side and all that kind of stuff, and you you get to the to the foyer of the actual uh, right, that's around the sanctuary, and you walk into the sanctuary, and I mean it it literally looks like a movie theater. Like I I, I that's the only thing I have to compare it to. No windows, uh, dim lighting, and then when everything turned on. When the service started and all the lights actually turned on, it was nothing but concert-style lights, colored lights, spotlights on the singers and stuff like that. And it was just – I was looking around and I was thinking there's nothing that differentiates this space from any other type of space. Mm -hmm. If whenever – if ever that church closes down – anything would be able to take that over and easily make it into whatever they want it to right uh, and it would be simple it would just take this off the wall take that off the wall and take this off the wall and the only thing outside that differentiated it from anything else because it was a metal building was a uh, almost arbitrary type steeple that was just kind of stuck on it <laughs> like again you just knock the steeple off right. and it can be any other type of building. I'm not saying that that is wrong or sinful or bad practice or anything like that, but I, I do think in some sense it's unwise because we enter into the space physically. When we physically enter into the space, it affects how we 
think about the space that we're in. Absolutely. And, and, yes. it, and it affects our mindset. It affects how we interact with whatever's going on in that space. And so when you walk into a place that makes you feel like I'm at church, your heart posture immediately feels that mm-hmm. and you immediately respond to that or at least should right and yeah i'm just there's there there's a whole lot more that we could dive off into there but, is. but that's the short of it and i i would two things i would add to that one again is the idea of, and the difference of becoming a spectator versus being a participant yeah so the, the music's so loud that you can't hear yourself think uh so you are you can't hear anybody else singing. It's so loud. It's just you, and so there's there's no sense of <laughs> which for some people that might be a good thing. Well, but. <laughs> yeah, for for me it's really good because nobody wants to hear me sing. Uh, but the the problem is I can't hear anybody else sing. Right. And when I walk into a space and the lights are off and I can't hear anybody else around me, it's essentially like me sitting in my room. Mm-hmm listening to my worship music and watching a, a pastor online. There's some church traditions that have tried to create a space that creates or recreates the idea of being alone. And I, I've been in worship services where people tell you, close your eyes. It's just you and Jesus now. Well, yes and no. You are with a hundred plus other people as well. You can be alone with Jesus the rest of the week. Right. In this one hour of the week, you are with others worshiping Jesus. And we have got so to let's, have that. Yeah. Let's retrieve that. Let's 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 emphasize that instead of saying it's best because that's what I hear in that moment. Yeah. It's better when you're alone with Jesus. And there's there's good. I'm not saying that's bad, but I, it's hard for me to say which one is better. Yeah. Both are. In, incredibly important and the way our culture is set up we mainly only get that one hour a week so let's make the best of that one hour a week uh that we can yeah well there's a lot we and we're further we can go (laughs) we we could keep going yeah we absolutely could but it's such a good question and it's an important question but I am so appreciative of the worship space that we have and how our church family interacts with one another in that. Because you could walk into churches and just sit and look at the back of somebody's head, and that's all that happens. That's not the case here. And that's so important that we move beyond just showing up, doing our thing, and leaving. We're here as part of the body of Christ to experience the person of Christ among us. And there are times that he shows up in some really spectacular ways, and if we're not here physically, we miss it. I think that's part of the part of the story here. I agree. That's all I got, John. I'm done. Uh, we got more, but I, I yeah. I mean, we, I, we I got stop. more, but I, I'm going <laughs> out of uh, courtesy to our listeners. Absolutely, I'm so, going to stop. And again, thank you so much, folks, for joining in and, and for sending in the questions. These are some good, good thought-provoking things. And uh, check the show notes because you need to kind of catch up with what's going on with this metaverse thing and um, have some discussion with folks around you as well. Uh, about your thoughts on that. Certainly. We'll see you all next time. Absolutely. See you.